Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Friday edition of the NFL Roadshow for week 14. Lindsay Rhodes here with a special guest to help you win your fantasy matchups this weekend. The first round of the playoffs in most leagues, though there are some already in week two, and I guess there are some out there for which this might be a win and get in week. Regardless, it's a big week. And it's always a big week in DFS. And Jeff Ratcliffe from CBS Sports and FTN Fantasy and the podcast, The Rant with Jeff Ratcliffe and Sirius XM Radio. You have so many jobs, Jeff. Uh, and I know you have a few thoughts on who to play and who to fade that might be helpful this week. It's nice to meet you. Yeah, it's nice to meet you as well. Yeah, sometimes it doesn't register that uh, I do all those different things because I really think about it as just one thing, right? It's my excuse to talk about football with everybody. So looking forward to this with week 14 on tap. Yeah, the job is fantasy expert, and you just plug and play into all of these different formats. I saw a report before we hopped on here that the most common players on ESPN fantasy teams in the playoffs were Kelsey and James Robinson. Have you noticed any trends when it comes to fantasy teams? Are those two guys that you have in a bunch of yours that have... uh, gone farther than the others you know it's funny i don't have any travis kelsey because this year you would have had to draft him in the second round so i felt like that was overpaying now anybody who does have him has basically two titans in one so it's not a huge surprise to me he's phenomenal he's so much fun to watch you know he's a generational player at the position and he's really redefining it for fantasy purposes However, James Robinson, I mean, this is just fascinating. You know, talk about redefining. If you're a general manager, and I don't know, you just gave a running back a big contract who's heading into age 26 season, maybe has some fumbling issues. I I don't know how you feel about that, but I I love it. The chip on his shoulder, the fact that, you know, they, they were so confident. They rolled Leonard Fournette out of there and said, hey, kid, it's your job. And he took it and ran with it. Such a great story. Do you think, going back to Kelsey for a second, that this year changes the way that we view where it's acceptable to draft a tight end moving forward? Because there's Kelsey, there's Waller. Mm -hmm. Uh, Obviously, Kittle's been out. But there is such a massive drop-off at tight end. You could literally stream tight end if you don't own one of those two guys because it's so hit or miss on a week-to-week basis. We kind of look down our nose um, in the fantasy expert land at drafting a tight end too early. But as we're learning here in the playoffs, those who did go and get Travis Kelsey really early, it's paying off for them. Yeah, I think there's really two schools of thought there. And and it's not really that new because you go back to the early part of Gronk's career. You also had Jimmy Graham. So it was sort of that... Uh, upper echelon, the big two in that era. And then recently we've had, uh, obviously, Kelsey, as you mentioned, Kittle, and to and to another extent, uh, Zach Ertz, now Dallas Goddard's amazing. So that sort of changed there. But um, there is that school of thought. Do you go out, you get that positional advantage every single week and have that, but you have to spend your second round pick? Or do you look in the late rounds for the next the next big thing? You know, I, I loved TJ Hawkinson heading into this year. Here he is. He's the number three fantasy tight end. Hunter Henry is playing good football. He was a middle round guy. Every year there are late round guys who come out of nowhere, including you mentioned these streamer types. How about Logan Thomas? I mean, he's not. Yeah, you know, I love how the broadcast put it last week. He's not a converted quarterback anymore. He's a tight end and he's legit. So I still think from a draft capital standpoint, it makes more sense to fade the position early, but it's hard to argue with the results. When you say that there's that many teams who are in the playoffs with, uh, with Kelsey, it's still a viable strategy. It's not, it's just not the top strategy for me. Remember uh, 
the days when Chris Herndon was that guy in the late rounds when uh, people were going to get, that did not pay off the way that a lot of us thought it might. Um, Okay, so we've got a lot to get to. We've got 16 games on the schedule this week, not a single buy. So let's go ahead and break the huddle and get to the headlines. All right, first things first, it looks like we are not going to see Christian McCaffrey this week after all because he has, that's my drum roll, a quad injury. It's a new injury. A quad tightened up on Wednesday. All of a sudden, uh, Christian McCaffrey likely to sit out yet another game. And he's not the only running back who's banged up. Antonio Gibson from Washington is dealing with a turf toe injury that he got in the game on Monday night. He didn't practice Wednesday or Thursday, so we'll have to check his availability when it comes out on Friday, same with James Robinson of the Jaguars is limited with a knee injury on Wednesday and Thursday monitoring that Josh Jacobs, another one we'll have to keep track of going into the game as he tries to come back from an ankle injury. And it sounds like the Raiders are expecting him to play. We should see James Connor as well for the Steelers activated off COVID reserve and eligible to play Monday against the Ravens who should have Mark Andrews back as well. Mike Evans didn't practice Thursday because of a hamstring injury. So that is potentially concerning Chris Godwin did practice, though, after having pins taken out of his index finger earlier this week. Dude is tough. As for the quarterbacks, it looks like Daniel Jones is on the mend, will probably be available for Sunday's Giants game. Drew Brees, we might have to wait another week. And, of course, the biggest news of the week from a quarterback standpoint, Philadelphia turning to Jalen Hurts. How do you think that that changes things for the fantasy assets in Philadelphia, Jeff? I don't think it can hurt, unfortunately. And, and you know, when you watch no back. pun intended. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, last week when you watch back, he made a couple throws that Carson Wentz just hasn't either been able to make or identify this season. The throw to Jalen Rager was impressive. You know, get that, uh, get that spark connected. And remember, these are two players who played with each other with the second team uh, in the preseason as we had to build up to the season. So they have a little bit of familiarity with each other getting uh, the, you know, Greg Ward in the end zone, still going to Dallas Goddard, the constant mismatch. This guy reminds me of Rob Gronkowski in some ways. And I know that people are going to say, Oh, that's an overreaction. That's a hot take. I don't think it's that hot of a take because he has a mismatch as a receiver. He's so fluid as an athlete, so big, and he can play in line. Uh, he's awesome. So hurts. It gives you a different look. Now, I really hope that this coaching staff goes back. They look at Lincoln Riley and what he did last year uh, with Jalen Hurts and hopefully use a lot of that. Use a lot of the RPO. Use use some read option and, and really tap into his ability as a runner. And if they can do that, it's not a bad thing. Now, this week's a tough matchup, but, you know, the next couple of weeks are actually a lot better. You know, the Saints you don't want to run into, but a lot better here down the stretch. You get Dallas in week 16. That's phenomenal there. So he could be a big-time factor, and I really don't think that they're going to turn back to Carson Wentz. Doug Peterson this week was like, this week only, but I don't think they're turning um, back. Okay. Yeah, after being so adamant that he was your guy, I think once you move away, you have then moved away. But you're right. This probably isn't a great week to play anybody from the uh, Eagles offense against the Saints defense. Um, So uh, keep that matchup in mind, as well as Jalen Hurts. From an injury standpoint, I just rattled off a lot of pretty big name players that people took early in drafts. Is there anyone in particular that you think uh, changes things pretty dramatically that you'll be keeping your eye on in particular? Well, I mean, you mentioned Christian McCaffrey that uh, there are a lot of people out there as McCaffrey was sidelined with the high ankle sprain who made the trade to get him with the hopes that he would be back by this time of year. 
And, and obviously this is backfiring. If you're Carolina, you have no impetus to get him on the field. He is, he's a, he's a key part of this future. I really don't think Joe Brady, I mean, conspiracy theorists out there would say Zach Taylor fired Joe Brady to Cincinnati, Joe Burrow reunion and everything's great for the Bengals. I don't know if that happens this quickly and they have a really good thing going. You know, this team seems to be buying into what Matt Rule is saying. Christian McCaffrey is a huge part of that. So why would you put him out there, get him hurt when you're really not playing for anything? I know he wants to play. I know they all want to play, but there's really not that motivation there. So that, that really is a tough one. If you have Mike Davis, he remains, you know, a top 15 ish player, but he's just not as strong in the run game as McCaffrey is. What is a stack that you have your eye on in DFS land this week? I know that you go over a bunch of different stack options on that other pregame show on Sunday morning, kind of give mm-hmm. you every type of price point, but is there one that you are particularly in love with? Well, I, I think you have to look at just stacking any one of the the receivers. Now you might mention Mike Evans a little dinged up, but any one of those receivers with Tom Brady, uh, the, the real appeal here is Minnesota secondary is so young and inexperienced. So you have Cameron Dantzler out there who has played a little bit better since he got back on the field, but you can go after him. You can go after Jeff Gladney. He's given up seven receiving scores out of the slot. So that's Chris Godwin right there. And it hasn't happened yet, but doesn't it just feel like that? it's just brewing for an Antonio Brown big game just when we least expect it. So really, I don't want to necessarily overload there, but I'm going to build some lineups that, that are Brady Brown stacks, Brady Evans stacks, if he's good to go. And then Brady Godwin stacks. In particular, you mentioned Jeff Gladney left last week's game with a calf injury. So we'll be monitoring mm-hmm. that, but if he's not even on the field, then uh, that helps things pretty dramatically. You think AB is still playable? He's not getting targeted the same as Godwin and Evans, just three targets in uh, their last game in week 12, when, by the way, they threw 41 times. Yeah, I, I do still think he's playable. And sometimes you have to make the the move that the masses aren't going to make. You know, there's we, we, we talk about chalk all the time, the most widely played players in DFS. And sometimes there's good chalk, sometimes there's bad chalk. And then there's sometimes good contrarian plays and bad contrarian plays. When you look at somebody like Antonio Brown, I'd really be keying in on him as a, as a red zone asset. And I still go back to that one game with the New England Patriots when Tom Brady targeted Antonio Brown three times in the end zone in a span of about 15 plays. So that that's the reason why he'd be appealing to me. But, you know, you always have to keep in mind ownership percentages. You don't want to be way over the projected ownership percentage, you know, with a guy like Antonio Brown. But I would have a little bit more exposure than uh, where ownership percentage comes in at. Okay. I have a lot of uh, matchup-related questions for you. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with a little Fantasy Friday advice. Okay, we're back, and it is Fantasy Friday. Already kind of got into some of the players that you like the most this week. Let's talk smash spots. Let's talk matchup advantages, guys that you really like this week. And I don't even care if it's, you know, a guy who is a big name. I want to know who is going to uh, maybe even outplay their value, even if the value is particularly high. Are there any quarterbacks that you particularly like this week? Uh, there, I mean, at, at quarterback this week, I think you have to look at, at Justin Herbert. In fact, one of the questions that a lot of people 
uh, have consistently been asking me is Justin Herbert or Josh Allen. And I got a lot of Josh Allen last week. A lot of people wanted to, to maybe fade him. But if you're actually faced with that particular dilemma, it's funny how that happens in fantasy, where a lot of people will have you know similar dilemmas. But if you are faced with that particular dilemma, I'm going Herbert. I think he bounces back in a big way. I don't really think that was a product of Herbert. I think that was a product of Bill Belichick two weeks in a row showing young quarterbacks. Not yet, son. Not yet. You'll, you'll be you'll get there maybe, but not not yet. Uh, now against Atlanta, you can throw all over them. So you know you talk about stacks too. Going back to the previous segment. Keenan Allen and Justin Herbert's also pretty darn appealing. Isaiah Oliver in the slot, giving up a 74% catch rate. So I like that. Or, or you could go after Mike Williams there as well, who has a lot of upside. So a quarterback, he stands out. I, I do think there's appeal to Taysom Hill, even though it's not necessarily an amazing matchup. What I like about Taysom Hill is he gives you an enormous floor with his ability as a runner. Even when he doesn't get in the end zone, he's still racking up yards, of course, throwing for the two touchdown passes last week as well which is really appealing against that secondary. And Darius Slay is really struggling. Now, I know the Eagles fans will point out that he faced DK Metcalf and he faced Devontae Adams, but he's going to face Michael Thomas here. So I'm going to keep going after that one. Those are probably the two that stand out in my top 10 uh, who, you know, maybe some people are questioning. From a running back standpoint, I feel like there are a lot of guys that are popping to me at this position that feel like they have really good matchups. I was trying to plug people in for DFS, and there are guys at just every price point. Another one that jumps out at me is David Montgomery, who uh, I am not a huge David Montgomery fan and kind of poo-pooed the idea of playing him in the last couple of weeks. Last week, obviously, finally gave into it and said, okay, finally, this is this is a good matchup, even though I thought that the Lions were going to play better defensively than they did now that they're freed of Matt Patricia. But with uh, 28 points against Green Bay and 27 points against Detroit, I think you could make the argument that he is somebody who can now take advantage of any type of good matchup that comes his way. And the Texans are probably just as bad against the run as Detroit giving up 28, I'm sorry, 38 fantasy points to Colts running backs last week. So it feels like this is a well that we should go back to. Do you agree? I do. You know, and for a good chunk of the season, he was the punchline to many jokes for me. David Montgomery was the human equivalent of meh for, yeah. you know, but it, it really came down to the fact that once Ty Tariq Cohen was out of there, there's nobody else to play the position. Cordell Patterson, we can call him whatever we want. He's not a true running back. Ryan Null, they just don't want to get on the field. So it's David Montgomery and all David Montgomery. And the remarkable thing is he was able, as you said, to take advantage of these really good matchups. And Houston has been just phenomenal as a matchup. He's going to get all the touches. I have him as a top 10 playing season long. He's obviously in the mix for, for DFS purposes as well. On the lower end, I like Gallman again, 5,700 on DraftKings. RB7, since he took over in the Giants' backfield, he scored 13-plus points in six straight games. Didn't score a touchdown last week, but he finally reached the 100-yard mark for the first time. Uh, and he's got a good matchup against the Cardinals, who are bottom 10 rushing defense. Uh, one of the worst defenses lately in explosive run rate, allowed yards before contact, rushing touchdowns allowed, all of these things. So I kind of like Gallman. Also, how about Gaskin? against the Chiefs, who have had a really hard time stopping the run. Yeah, they're a run funnel a little bit because their secondary is, is relatively good. I, I think Bashad Breeland in particular, since coming back from that suspension, has been 
a pretty darn good asset for them. Obviously, a honey badgers there in the secondary as well. And then we saw Melvin Gordon, who for the most part this season has been lackluster at best. And he actually looked good. You know, he had his best game of the season really against them last week. So yeah, absolutely, Miles Gaskin. They're going to feed him the football. That's what they want to do. And he he has had a very nice season here, very surprising season. You mentioned Wayne Goldman, though. So I have this little term that I've devised. It's called getting gesickied. And and when you get gesickied, it, it comes from this. When you're watching your game, you have a tight end going in that game. The tight end scores a touchdown. You jump up and it's the other guy. <laughs> it's the other tight end. Uh, it happened to Mike Kosicki earlier in the year with two tight ends, Durham Smythe getting in the end zone. So anyway, I brought up that term and now I'm just referring it to any, any vulture situation. Yes. So of course, yes. last week he does all the work all of it, and, and Alfred Morris comes in and hits the home run. Uh, so he needed that. That didn't help any of us. Nobody, nobody. It, Go it, away, it was Morris. useless, completely useless. But I love the way that Wayne Gallman's been playing. And I agree with you here. I'm in a situation in one of my home leagues where I'm going to rely on him in the first round of the fantasy playoffs and, and uh, hoping for a big one. And I, I really think that the way that that team has sort of gelled, I mean, credit to Joe Judge for, for getting this yeah. team. They were in a rut. Daniel Jones was awful to start the season. It looks like he could be back on the field, fingers crossed. Uh, even if they if if he isn't, the team is just running the football so well and playing good defense, and that's exactly what you want in December. That defense is playing so well that I'm a little bit concerned about uh, whether Kyler Murray is going to bounce back this week. I mean, he has not been playing particularly well, and I think that this defense is not the one that you're going to get him back uh, on the right track in the playoffs against. Yeah, James Bradbury has been a phenomenal, you know, everybody made jokes about Dave Gettleman, but you know, he drafted offensive line. He brought in a very quality corner who can who can match up in shadow coverage against opposing number one receivers. And Kyler, you're, you're right, he has been fading. Now, the one thing that I will say, and, and I don't know if this actually is going to help him, but Larry Fitzgerald will be back. And yeah. I don't know if that it helps him enough. You know, is it a coincidence that this has happened with Fitzgerald off the field? Perhaps, but we've also seen Fitzgerald definitely taking him under his wing. You know, everybody saw the clip. Hey, watch Julio Jones. He's really good. Maybe it helps a little bit, but uh, I, for Kyler Murray, this is the first time in a while that I don't have him in my top 10. Now I have him at 11, but you know, you have Kyler Murray, you have Taysom Hill. Who would have thought you'd be considering Taysom Hill this week, but I think that's a viable consideration. Well, I mean, it's crazy because Kyler Murray's fantasy value is, primarily linked to what he does on the ground. And he hasn't been getting the type of volume that we've saw earlier in the season in terms of his rush attempts. He had been averaging 15 for a while and that's uh no, I'm sorry, 10. He'd been averaging 10 carries a game for a while. And that's been split in half, just five a game in the last three games. So you're going to see your fantasy value drop off a cliff. As for Brad Berry shadowing D hop, I wonder if that might open things up for Christian Kirk downfield. It could potentially. Isaac Yidem has allowed three scores in his last five games. So, you know, I, I mentioned that on air on my Sirius XM show today. I say, hey, you know, DFS wise, it's not really a punt play, but more of a contrarian play. I'm going to have some exposure to him. I mean, you're really banking on do they get that connection? We saw that connection earlier in the year between those two, Kyler Murray and Christian Kirk. He has that juice. He's he's able to find the end zone. So, yeah, sneaky play. I'm not using him as anything more than a wide receiver three in uh, season-long fantasy, though. So when you say things like get some exposure, because mm-hmm. um, I'm relatively new to DFS yep. and I don't have a whole bunch of lineups, I play in a tournament for a TV show that I do on Sundays so that we can you know pay that off on the air. 
But um, how, how many lineups would you typically have out there in order to really maximize the value? Well, it really depends on your bankroll, of course. I, I, well, actually, you can get away with it if you're doing a really low entry. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you do want to max enter ultimately or get close to that. So I'm not talking in the millionaire maker. That's going to cost you a lot to put 150 lineups in. But there you can, um, you know, you could do the mini max tournaments or 25 cents. Putting 150 lineups in isn't that big of an investment. And, you know, if you are really careful with how you construct your lineups, you know, and, and uh, when I'm saying exposure, so that means 13%, 10%, whatever it is of your lineups would have that particular player in it. Uh, it's not for everybody that approach. You know, I know a lot of people just want to go in single entry, which is a, you know, very different um, mindset. And I think there's merit to both, but you know, if you're, if you're relatively new to DFS, I think that's probably your better bet. Like you, Hey, I'm in a, I'm in a home DFS league where it's just 20 people every week, it's $5. So it's not much, you know, and, mm -hmm. and it's fun. And, and the top three yeah. get paid out. Uh, if you, if you win, cool, you get a little bragging rights, you get a little payout, and then you move on to the next week. Well, that's why I like it compared to season long leagues. I mean, I, I like the season long leagues, but I feel like, so you draft your team. Those are your guys. You can do the waiver wire. You can move some pieces around, but for the most part, that's what your lineup looks like. And that's fun, but I also like being able to construct a brand new lineup every single week. And that's what really appeals to me about DFS, that there's this whole like, um, you know, I might think that Dalvin Cook has a great matchup this week and he's not on my season long league. So I'm going to find a way to pay up and get him and then the low end guys. And there, there's a totally different strategy that's involved that I find um, I find very rewarding and fun personally. Derek Henry. Uh, do you expect a boom or bust performance from him? Because this is a guy who's coming off a third straight, uh, um, I'm sorry, his third single digit game of the season, not third straight, obviously, but his first single digit game of the season was against this same Jaguars team that he's going to face on Sunday. He had 84 yards, no catches, no touchdowns, uh, 8.4 fantasy points, but historically he plays much better against Jacksonville and in fact goes crazy in the second matchup against Jacksonville. Can you count on that to continue to be the case this time? Yeah. So Derek Henry, you know, I, I, I think any game it, you have a potential hundred plus performance brewing and it's really the volume that's key with him. Now, last week, I'm not as concerned because it was a weird game script. I mean, who saw them mm -hmm. getting down to Baker Mayfield that quickly and, and, and you mentioned the passing game involvement. I mean, that's might not really... find themselves in that situation against the Jaguars. Yeah, probably not. I, I will say this Jags team has some fight to them though, with, especially with Glennon under center things you would have never thought happened, but it is 2020. They they're able to, to stay in the, the game, but whatever that's it. I digress. Seven targets last week, you know, so there was that I, I know, you know, it's frustrating for a lot of people out there, but he did lead the team in targets. So I look at the volume first and foremost, but yeah, I, I still think Derrick Henry is in, in, in a great spot here. The one pitfall is if you are in PPR, if he doesn't score a touchdown, you know, there was the game against the Colts, the first game against the Colts, he, he scores, you know, whatever, just over 10 fantasy points in PPR because he didn't score a touchdown, but he had a hundred yard game against the Colts. So, you know, that's the pitfall here, but my model for projections actually has him with a hundred percent chance of scoring a touchdown. A hundred percent chance. A hundred percent chance. Good. He's going to get in the end zone. So uh, he is still the, the, the one of the top plays on the board, regardless of the scoring format. 
Well, so uh, I mentioned the second game against the Jaguars being a historically good one. The last two times that he's faced them, the second time in the season, he had 17 carries, 238 yards, and four touchdowns. And then the other one was 19 carries, 159 yards, and two touchdowns. So I don't know what it is about him. He's such a funny running back in that we can always count on him to about midseason. That's when we start seeing Derrick Henry take flight. And that that the numbers actually bear that out consistently is is entertaining to me. I don't I don't quite know why that is for a running back. But um, speaking of the Titans, stick with the Titans for a second. Is it points chasing to plug in Corey Davis this week? Not at all. Not at all. Top 20 play. And and I'm really happy to see this for Corey Davis. You know, uh, with fantasy football playing, the playing public has such a. Uh, a really quick set of expectations. We want the turnaround to happen immediately. We want the rookie to come on the field and be Justin Jefferson, right? Or be o- Odell Beckham Jr. in his rookie year and just put up phenomenal numbers. But it sometimes does take some time. I and mean, we saw it with Devontae Parker. It was a five-year wait for him to finally click. And last year, second half of the season, it happened. I know he doesn't quite have the chemistry with Tua Tunga-Vailoa, but he, he is at least a fantasy viable receiver at this point. And Corey Davis has really emerged as that. It wasn't just last week. The writing has been on the wall for this for a while. And even though this is not a high-volume passing game, Ryan Tannehill is looking his way a lot, especially in the red zone. So, yeah, I think he's a top-20 play. And especially when you consider this Jags secondary, I mean, they're really they're, they're up against it. This might be the best matchup for the wide receivers. If A.J. Brown is good to go, the best matchup on the board this week. Ooh. Okay, he has um, third in the NFL in yards per route run, which we're talking about volume and things that are indicators of success. That's behind only Justin Jefferson. I can't remember the other person, but Justin Jefferson, since you mentioned him, he's in that conversation with him um, and uh, has had double digit points in the last four games. Couple other running backs. Like I said, I feel like all the notes that I made practically were about running backs because they just jumped off the page at me from a, Matchup standpoint, Jonathan Taylor, I feel like this is a really good matchup for him against the Raiders, who have allowed the eighth most receiving yards to running backs. Uh, Five different running backs have rushed for 50 plus yards in the last three weeks against them, four of which have been elevated backups like the kind they saw last week, Ty Johnson. So Jonathan Taylor, although he's been a bit of a roller coaster for us this year, it feels like this is a spot where he should be able to have some success. And then another running back that I want to mention who obviously you're going to play in season long. Don't yell at me. I'm, I'm just suggesting for DFS purposes, things like that. Aaron Jones had a career game last time he played the Lions week two, 18 carries, 168 yards, two touchdowns, also four catches, 68 yards, and a touchdown that way. His targets have decreased a little bit lately, but this feels like a smash spot for Aaron Jones against a Lions defense that obviously gives up a ton of points to running backs. My question for you from a fantasy standpoint, do you downgrade Rodgers at all? And I know it's Rodgers, but do you think that he is potentially adversely affected from a fantasy standpoint, from a matchup where it looks like they should go to Aaron Jones quite a bit? No, I don't, because I think that it wasn't a coincidence that this offense started producing last week. How many times are we going to see this this season where a head coach is fired and, wow, the offense works. Amazing. The Texans, we saw it. The Falcons, we saw it. And then last week, the Lions finally looked like the Lions we thought they were going to be. Matthew Stafford looked like himself finally. Marvin Jones in not not really the best matchup having a a big game. 
They have they they were lacking their two best offensive weapons in Kenny Galladay and DeAndre Swift, and it still didn't matter. So I think they have enough fight to stay in this game, and that actually bodes well for Rodgers. Obviously, Jones, and what I loved about last week too, the Eagles did a really good job of bottling him up for most of the game, but that offense couldn't stay on the field. So the defense stayed on the field and they were worn down. And Jones had one of the the, the, the most entertaining touchdown runs you're ever going to see. But that's it wasn't just a boom, gets to the second level, he's off to the races. I mean, he had to fight to get down the field, making moves all the way down the field to get in the end zone. Uh, so, so entertaining with him. Uh, in terms of Jonathan Taylor, it's finally as advertised. You know, the athleticism, the athleticism at the combine, we're like, this guy can't miss. And then Jordan Wilkins is ahead of him on the depth chart. But the last two games, he has shown that he is the hot hand. They don't need to find the hot hand. He is the hot hand. And I agree with you here, this matchup, especially the Ty Johnson thing. Like, who saw Ty Johnson with 20-plus carries and over 100 yards last week, Frank Gore concussion or not? I mean, I don't know what the odds would have been for that, but that would have been a pretty payout if you would have bet on Ty Johnson over 100 yards. I love running against the Raiders, and, and really, I, I think Jonathan Taylor is going to continue this momentum through December. Is Ty Johnson startable this week if Frank Gore continues to be out? It's the Seahawks that they're facing who just allowed 180 rushing yards to the Giants. Yeah, generally speaking, so that was a bit of a surprise because they've been pretty good against the run. That It was yeah. the pass defense that struggled through much of the year. Maybe it's I just Gallman. Gallman's so good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he is. He really is. And I feel bad because I kind of ragged on him when he first came in the league because he, he really isn't a stellar athlete. But some of these guys don't have to be at running back to be quality running backs. If you if you can hit the hole and, and you can generate runs, and you saw it with Goldman on the long run too. Like if it was Saquon, that was a touchdown. But with Goldman, all right, he's not the fastest guy, but it was still a long run. Uh, but he's just a quality running back, a really good football player. As for Johnson, I think you could be in a desperation situation where you might need a flex option in season long. I would play him. I have him currently ranked at 30, assuming Frank Gore doesn't get back on the field. If Gore does, though, I just get this feeling that Adam Gase is going to continue to go back to him. Remember, we, well, Michael P. Ryan, it's his job, and then it, it, it wasn't. It, you know, What it, is his obsession with playing? Uh, and also in Detroit, Adrian Peterson. Uh, it's been so frustrating for those of us in fantasy, obviously, wanting DeAndre Swift. And then finally, once they do turn to DeAndre Swift and it looks like he has evolved into the type of feature back that we all think that he can be, then he, of course, immediately gets hurt. and We don't see him again for the rest of the season oh. to this point. But Adrian Peterson and Frank Gore, are they just going to play forever and ruin things for us in fantasy? I, I guess so. You know, I used to make fun of their age, but then I realized how much older I am than both of them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I kind of gave I that know. one up. Stay in the league, Tom Brady. At least I have somebody older than me. But it, it's it, it's that you assume rational coaching. You assume these teams draft players for a reason. And then you just get the the same old, same old with uh, with a lot of these running backs. And it's not a knock on Frank Gore. He's phenomenal. He's had one of the totally. best years. And same thing with Peterson. But for fantasy purposes, we want to see the young kids. We want to see the electric upside. And even even real life purposes, yeah. if you're the Jets at this point, yeah. like why? Why are we even wasting the carries with Frank Gore at this point? Let's just see everybody else that you have so that you can figure out if you have what you need moving forward or if you have to replace everybody at that position. Anyway, wide receiver. 
The guy I'm most excited about this week is a guy who I have never said that I was excited about because of the offense that he plays in. I don't like the Bears offense. I do not like the situation that he's in with the quarterbacks. And so it's always scared me away from Allen Robinson, even though I know he is a great fantasy asset and a lot of times they're playing from behind. And so he catches all of these things. I get it. But no Bradley Roby for the Texans who also had three other cornerbacks miss practice on Wednesday. That's not good. They have no bodies back there. And this is a defense that's already awful in games without Roby. The Texans have allowed, and this one's fun, 44 points to uh, Devontae Adams in week seven. They give up 30 points to DJ Chark in week nine, and they give up 25 points to T.Y. Hilton last week. No Bradley Roby equals smash spot for whatever wide receiver is the best wide receiver going against the Texans in this week. That's Allen Robinson. Yeah, it's it's crazy how much of a difference that makes. And, you know, credit where credit was due to Roby when he was on the field, but I maybe... I don't know what the PED was, so who knows there. But regardless, it's a huge impact to that defense. And you mentioned the injuries as well. And and simply the fact that was T.Y. Hilton's first 100-yard game since week 16 of 2018. Like, we're asking him if he can still do it. And this week, his answer is, I just did it last week. He's yeah. literally pointing to that one game. That's the game that says, look, see, I can still do it. So, oh. mm, I don't know. Allen Robinson definitely can still do it. What I liked about Trubisky, a phrase you never think you would use, never. but what I liked about Trubisky two weeks ago is he actually pushed the ball downfield uh, to Allen Robinson. He was throwing the ball to the end zone, which, you know, hey, you have your highest percent of ch- percentage chance of scoring touchdowns by targeting receivers in the end zone. Six end zone throws, three of them went to Robinson, and he, of course, caught two of them. I like those numbers. I like the fact that, you know, the, 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 the Texans overall defense is just not that good. Uh, JJ Watt is still there, obviously, but generally speaking, I don't think they're going to have a problem roll, uh, moving the football down the field. So I, I have Robinson as a top 12 play in season long fantasy football. And I think there's a lot of appeal there in DFS as well. Trubisky had just looked up his rushing stats from last week. Uh, three attempts, six yards. They refused to use him in any way that is meaningful on the ground, no matter what. And so I will not look at him. I will never consider that dead to me. Uh, Another wide receiver that I like this week because of the depth issues at cornerback on his opponent's team, uh, Robbie Anderson, who will Denver's missing their top cornerback, Bryce Callahan with a foot injury. Um, also, he should see tons of volume because of what's going on on his own team. Potentially, I guess, with COVID, they had eight players who were placed on the COVID list early in the week, including DJ Moore, who tested positive, and Curtis Samuel, who was a close contact. So I suppose it's possible that Curtis Samuel could be cleared in time to play, but it, it seems to make Robbie Anderson the primary pass catcher there. And then again, going up against a team that will be without their primary cornerback. Um, Robbie Anderson already averaging eight and a half targets per game coming off a game where he had 94 yards and a touchdown. Who else do you think it's the volume bump there for the Panthers if those two guys are out? Because I looked at the roster and I don't know. I don't know where it goes. Yeah, there's not much there. There isn't. Uh, and shout out to all my Temple Owls out there with Robbie Anderson. Uh, I love what he's been able to do. The reunited and it feels so good with Matt Rule. 
from his college days and, and for the, the brief moment in time, reunited with PJ Walker as well. Uh, yeah, there's, there's nobody there. I mean, we could see some tight end involvement. We can see, it looks like Mike Davis out of the backfield, uh, you know, catching, catching balls, but I, I expect a heavy volume day for Robbie Anderson top 15 play for me right now in season long fantasy football. And I do think that, you know, a lot of people will be on this one in DFS, but I said earlier, there's good chalk, there's bad chalk. This would be good chalk. I'd rather keep pace with people with a good play like this. Who's a wide receiver that you like? This week, uh, looking through my rankings, I mean, I have a lot of the, you know, the big names up top, but uh, I just keep going back to Deontay Johnson. Now I'm not ranking him as a top 10 player or anything like that. But it's the 61 targets that he's seen over the last five weeks that leads all wideouts. And in fact, crazy, crazy enough, Pittsburgh has three wide receivers in the top 10 in targets over the last five weeks. That, that's unbelievable, the volume that's there. And Ebron's still getting his as well. But Deontay Johnson just has this early career Antonio Brown look to me. And Ben Roethlisberger, I think, sees it as well because you can see him lock in uh, to uh, Deontay Johnson on the field. So he, every week, uh, just so appealing. And, and even though it's Buffalo, ordinarily I'd say, okay, Tredavious White for a lot of receivers. Levi Wallace having a pretty good season as well. That's a downgrade. I don't think it's a downgrade. And I think it's just, you know, more volume, rinse and repeat for Deontay Johnson this week. What about tight ends? I've got some pretty low-end tight ends that are the ones that I, that I found notes on, but I don't know if I would want to play them or not, you know, like uh, Dalton Schultz, who has a good matchup for the Cowboys against the Bengals who allow the most targets and receiving yards to tight ends. I think I might plug him in in DFS just because he's so inexpensive and that frees up some stuff uh, at the higher price points for me. But um, Jacob Hollister from the Seahawks feels like a, I don't know, his max points on the season are 11 against Baltimore in week nine, but the Jets are awful against tight ends. Uh, as we all know from having just watched Waller go for 200 on 13 catches against them last week, they've allowed 11 touchdowns to tight ends in the last 11 games. And Hollister has had five targets a game in the last two games. So I guess you could make the argument that if five is what we're starting with and we're working up from that, if the matchup is a plus matchup, that maybe P. Carroll and company might go to him a little bit more frequently. You know, if only they had a, a safety who could cover tight ends. I, I don't know. That would have been it would have been great for the Jets. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think that's an interesting DFS play. I don't know if I would go that far in season long because no, chances yes, are, no. you know, Logan Thomas might be out there. Uh, John R. Smith, we got to keep an eye on his status. You know, for a lot of people who are looking at Anthony Ferkser, Anthony Ferkser got kissickied last week with Michael Pruitt getting in the end zone. But he did have seven targets, so the volume was there. Uh, Dalton when Schultz, though. Swim I, cuts into his snap count. Are you concerned at all about, like, so if Jonu comes back, mm-hmm. are we just Jonu's Jonu again? Or is, because I'm a little bit concerned about the number of tight ends that they work in yeah. there, just period. That scares me away. Yeah, he's still more of a fringe top 12 then. Uh, with, you know, that's the, the problem. If one of them's out of the mix, then yeah, you fire the other guy up. But, you're right. And especially once Corey Davis really started clicking here, that's when we saw Johnny Smith's involvement in the red zone decrease. Uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if I could use him with much confidence. I, I, I do like the Dalton Schultz call, though. Uh, I would go after that matchup. And, and you know, I have the running bit. 
I call every game in the NFL is a revenge game. So I try and point out every single revenge <laughs> game. Uh, and is of course, a revenge Andy Dalton. Game? Andy Dalton. Oh, is Andy going Dalton. After. I'm like, Dalton Schultz is, has a revenge <laughs> game. I'm like, okay, that one went completely over my head. The other Dalton at yes. the other end of his name. Yes, of course. Though you're not playing Andy Dalton. No, maybe in two quarterback leagues, but uh, okay. not in one quarterback. I, I think, you know, again, go to the revenge narrative. Jordan Reed is in play uh, as a quote unquote revenge game. I don't know how much he wants to take out or, you know, get his revenge on the Washington football team, but at least you have that, that storyline to follow there. Uh, even Jordan Eakins to a, a lesser extent. Now, Indy is so good against tight ends. So last week, uh, it really wasn't a strong play. I, I don't necessarily love this week either, but you know, I, I find it hard to believe that the team is going to use a lot of Chad Hansen yet again. I mean, that came as an utter shock. You know, all week long, we were thinking it was going to be Isaiah Coulter. And I guess Isaiah Coulter is just not ready because the team doesn't want to activate him for game day. So Chad Hansen, out of nowhere, people who play dynasty football know Chad Hansen from a couple of years ago coming into the league, but really hasn't done anything. And then boom, here he is, 100 yards, Kiki QT over 100 yards. And Jordan Akins doesn't do much. But Jordan Akins is, I mean, he could basically play a big slot role for them if they do roll out there in 12 personnel. So he's an interesting option. He's obviously got to get in the end zone. But if you're, if you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel in season-long leagues, he could be somebody for you. It's crazy how much they use 12 personnel mm -hmm. and how little volume he seems to yeah. get, Jordan Akins. It's like they just don't want to go there. They just want them on the field for some reason. Uh, Kiki QT is an interesting guy that you brought up. So he's $5,000 this week on DK, up from $3,500. And for good reason, because now that they don't have Fuller and we all kind of funneled all of our DFS shares into Brandon Cooks last week, Kiki Kuti comes out of nowhere, leads the team in targets, catches, receiving yards. We're talking about nine targets, eight catches, 141 yards. He had a 13.4 A dot last week. And the Bears are frequently uh, attacked deep from the slot. So is this another guy that you're thinking of firing up in DFS that might be like a low end guy? Uh, sure. Absolutely. I, I'm, I am curious now, obviously it's a different defense than two years ago, but Kiki QT has three 100 yard games. All three of them are against the Colts. Um, I don't know if there's anything to that, but uh, either way you can't. Really? Yeah. That's, that's it right there. The two big oh, games. No. In so there's a possibility. Year. It's just for whatever reason, it's the Colts. <laughs> I don't I don't think it is. It might just be one of those weird coincidences. But I what you mentioned out of the slot, and I think that's a great call out because Buster Screen really hasn't hasn't done a good job. On the outside, Kyle Fuller having a good year. Jalen Johnson, well, he's shown that he's a rookie, but overall, I would say this is a pretty strong rookie campaign from him. But screen, you know, 13.4 yards per reception. Uh, you know, he is allowing uh, touchdowns here, three touchdowns in his last four games, 79% catch rate. There's all these positive favorable stats for Kiki QT. And then I look on the outside and, you know, like I said, is Chad Hansen in, in week 13 a barrage? I have no idea. Brandon Cooks in theory should be. Who would have be... ever thought we were going to say Chad Hansen's name so much? Exactly. exactly. In week 14. In week 14. <laughs> it's 2020. On a fantasy show. Again, signs that it is 2020. <laughs> But you would think Brandon Cooks is the best receiver there, but Kiki QT seemed to have this, this nice connection with Deshaun Watson. Even going back the week before when he had to step in, 
I, I think you can't deny that price point. Now he's going to be widely owned at that price point, but definitely still a solid play. So you mentioned the Colts being good against tight ends when you were talking about Jordan Aikens. And that brings me to my uh, fade question, I guess. Uh, If you have him in season long, play Darren Waller. But I'm wondering if even in that case, you're lowering expectations for him this week. I mean, talk about bad timing, I guess. He's got a really tough matchup against the Colts who haven't allowed more than 65 yards to a tight end this year. They've only given up one touchdown to a tight end. All season long. I mean, Darren Waller's obviously, if there's a guy who could break that kind of a streak, then he is up there with the best of them. But what are your expectations for him this week? Well, the one touchdown was Robert Tanyan. So if I was to compare apples to apples here, Darren Waller is a superior player. So at least there is that. He's not really a tight end, though. And uh, he, I, I've said it numerous times. He's the best wide receiver on that team. And, and John Gruden essentially has said as much as well. Like, you have a guy like him. He's just an absolute freak from a size speed st- standpoint. He's not a conventional tight end. So for DFS purposes, though, that's the challenge because salary then comes into play. And, you know, a lot of weeks this year, you had like a $1,000 gap, a $1,200 gap between Waller and Kelsey. It's not as steep. It's six hundred dollars this week, and and so if you're going to pay up for one of them, you know, you're either way, you're going to have to find some wiggle room elsewhere. Whereas even the number three tight end, I mean, you got a twenty four hundred dollar discount between T.J. Hawkinson and and Travis Kelsey, and and obviously an eighteen hundred dollar discount with him and Waller. I, I think he's more viable. I think I would pay down for for some of the guys that we had mentioned earlier. I'd look to be contrarian and possibly use guys who might be under own, like the Dallas Goddards of the world, who do have upside and a reasonable price point. So, yeah, I, I would say a fade might be in play here, but uh, season-long people, and I always have to, you know, clarify that I'm not worried at all about Derek right. Waller. We start him no yes. matter what. He is a true stud, and there are very few of them uh, by my definition for fantasy purposes. Yeah, that's one of those things at this time of year. Uh, Deshaun Watson was one of those guys. The The question came up last week with out Will Fuller. How much does that change his fantasy value? And should I start, you know, thinking about comparing him to some other guys that might be on my bench? And I'm like, please play Deshaun Watson. Although actually someone asked me if I would think about benching him for a guy like Ryan Tannehill. And I said, no, because Deshaun Watson's the guy who got me here and I like his upside mm-hmm. and I'm just going to stick with him because I would be so much more angry if he went off on my bench than I would be if the guy who I didn't play in place of him had a couple more points than him. And that turned out to actually be the case because Tannehill did have a better fantasy outing than Deshaun Watson. But I feel like that's one of those things where you just don't overthink it at this time of year. Cause if you're going to lose, you'd rather lose. Um, guess what the good guy or the better guy in your lineup. That's how I feel anyway. Do you feel differently? No, it's phenomenal advice. Uh, the off season is a long time. Eight months is a long time. <laughs> And to be mad at yourself. Exactly. You know. And and when you do that little bit of overthinking, the paralysis by overanalysis, you try to get cute, you try to outthink fantasy football, you're never going to win. You're never going to outthink fantasy football. It's going to bite you every single time. So as you said, you know, essentially dance with your date, dance with who you who got you there. And Deshaun has gotten you there for, for a bulk of the season. And you could try and chase every single fantasy point, but ultimately you're never going to see through the matrix and, and figure out who's going to score those points. So what I always tell people to do is, you know, play and, and granted, you're not going to actually be able to do this, but think about it like this. If the game was played a thousand times, 
How often does Watson outscore Tannehill? Is it more than 50%? Then start Watson. If it's not, then start Tannehill. And in this instance here, I would I agree with you 100%. Even knowing the result, it was still the right play. It may not have had the the, the best result, but it was the right play. And when we talk about process well, and over also results, who, right? Who could have predicted Baker Mayfield's yeah. just all of a sudden going to look like the Baker Mayfield we wanted him to look like all Nobody. year long? He's going to come out and jump out to an crazy lead, but I think it was 35-7 at the half. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I didn't think that that was going to be the case, and so that totally flips the script, and now all of a sudden Ryan Tannehill's getting a lot more uh, passing volume than he would have otherwise had. So anyway, I'm I'm like you. Uh, do How many season-long leagues are you in? How many... Uh, there's about a dozen, but I, I will say that a lot no, of them are... No, you do not do a dozen leagues, Well, a lot Jeff. of them are industry leagues, though. So, you know, like, we, we have a bunch of people from various websites. It's a really great community, you know, where there's not a lot of animosity. It's not like, I'm Coke and you're Pepsi and I hate you. You know, it, it, we're, we're all friends, so we do a lot of leagues like that. But when I really boil it down, though, I have three that I care about. One of them... Okay is the reason why I'm talking to you right now or why I'm doing anything that I do in fantasy. It started you know, over 20 years ago, created the bug in me. And I never even thought this was going to be a career when I started writing in 2010. But you know, here we are. And so that league I care about, I have another home league that's a points-only league, which is so cool because the best team wins every year. And uh, it's a little bit different. Well, so it doesn't matter who's winning on a week-to-week basis. Yep. It's the whole, okay, so then the... Scott Hansen's of the world, because by the way, in our uh, NFL network leagues that I've been in in the past, Scott Hansen's always that guy who loses, but he goes, oh, but I scored the most points. And we're like, okay, dude, you lost. You're out of the playoffs. Just simmer down now. So he would enjoy being in a league like that where he doesn't, or maybe not because it takes his excuse off the table. So how many uh, playoffs are you in, in those 12 leagues? Uh, Let's see, probably about, I think it's six. I have to double check one of them, but obviously the points only league doesn't have playoffs. Um, The home league I'm in and I needed 15 and a half points out of JK Dobbins on Tuesday night to get a buy. And I got whatever, 13 and a half out of him. So I did miss the buy by two points in the number three seed. And of course, I'm probably going to lose to the number six seed because that team is on absolute fire. But that's how it works in fantasy football. Of course. Once it all starts over again in the postseason, the nope. best team always like drops out in the first round, it feels like. That's just the way it goes. Jeff, this has been really fun for me. Thank you so much for doing it. I need to work on my format because I feel like I start off going like, hey, let's talk about the best matchup at quarterback. And then I'm like, I have five follow-up questions on that. And before you know it, we're like, oh, so hopefully people who are listening can follow along. But if they want to follow along things that you were doing on Twitter, it's Jeff Ratcliffe with an E at the end. Yeah, and a and T a- in there as well. Jeff Radcliffe with a D keeps getting fantasy questions and sends them my way. <laughs> but, oh, uh, yeah, we got to fix that. <laughs> not like the Harry Potter guy, all right? So it's with the T in there. You are rad, but just not in your name. Jeff, I'll take I- it. I appreciate it. Uh, look forward to watching you on Sunday on that other pregame show also, because I've said this a million times. I feel like I've talked to everybody on that show now. It, it feels like we've had Kyle come through and Jonathan and Amy is scheduled for next Monday. So, uh, but you guys are what I watch when I'm getting ready for work on Sunday. So very much enjoy your work there. And this has been fun talking to you. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, thanks. This is the pleasure's all mine.